1: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome. We are, of course, talking about the story from Alvin Schwartz and Stephen Gammel's scary stories to tell in the dark. The Wendigo, unpacking a lot of the problematic um, things that make us go, ooh, in a way that is not thrilling, but in a way that is self-reflective.
0: Things that go, hmm, in the night.
1: (laughs) (sighs) Makes you think. Um, I think. And we are uh, still reading research from the wonderful spooky teacher of the pod, Kari, uh, who sent us in not only insights into the larger nine part novella that this story is based on, but also some larger contextual information about the um, uh, lore around the Wendigo and its indigenous origins.
0: It's this is amazing. It's so fascinating.
1: Yeah. Um, so this part I'm really fascinated by, Anna. Pop culture monster fans might notice that neither Schwartz nor Blackwood's version of the Wendigo really matches versions of it they might have encountered in shows like Supernatural or Grimm or video games like Until Dawn. Most notably, Schwartz and Blackwood's versions aren't particularly hungry for human flesh. Hmm. I'm going to proceed this next section with the clear statement that I'm not native American and not of the first nations. And I don't have any real cultural background there. I'm operating solely off of academic articles that I read in weird, scary story fueled haze. (laughs) Thank you for that context Gary. Sick. Uh, I encourage anyone with a more intimate knowledge of these traditions to please, please correct me if I get this wrong. And that goes for all of you gentle listeners. I know we have uh, some native listeners, all of whom we love very much. Um, And yeah, if you have any insight into this, if we're getting something completely wrong, please do let us know. I'm wrong about 76% of things. So uh, I'm more than happy to issue a correction. Um, Okay, here we go. Nathan D. Carlson and Robert Brightman both suggest that we might be dealing with different Wendigos, specifically in the northern Alberta Cree and Metis traditions. The Wendigo... Wendigo, is sometimes described as an owl-eyed monster with large clawed hands, matted hair, a naked emaciated body, and a heart made of solid ice.
0: She sounds gorgeous.
1: I, this is, She would win America's Next Top Model yesterday.
0: She would, and she'd immediately be, be with
1: Ryan Murphy living in his house. <laughs> I know, and people would instantly be like, Icon, and you'd go to her IMDb and she has like two credits. She has one tweet from 2015 that just says fat. Like, oh, All right, And The well. one before that is like something for a pink berry offer.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, everyone loves a tart dessert. <laughs> Hashtag fat. <laughs> the Wittigo's hunger instinct is believed to be so insatiable that it has consumed its own lips. Anna. Oh, that I've scares me.
0: This is me when I'm just eating a bowl of pasta sauce because there's <laughs> nothing else.
1: It is everyone at the Emmys. Just, I hey, hey, hey. <laughs> um, But in broader Algonquin traditions, it's a human transformed by a monstrous hunger through curse or circumstance. So it's possible that the iteration of the Wendigo slash different spellings that that Carrie ran across in Schwartz and Blackwood's versions come from the Wendigo of the Cree tradition, rather than the more popularized cannibalistic monster. Mm. For a good overall description of the Wendigo that folks might recognize from pop culture, Julie Tharp describes the Wendigo of Ojibwe tradition in her article, Wendigo Ways. A Wendigo is defined as a cannibalistic monster set loose by human greed, envy, and jealousy. Traditional Ojibwe wendigo stories usually focus on the starving time of winter when food is in short supply. And anyone taking more than their share effectively eats into the bodies of those around them. Oh
0: these wow. caution
1: Isn't that isn't that really that's such a good representation of that?
0: It's true too.
1: Mm-hmm. These cautionary tales strive to impress upon their listeners the absolute need for balance and self restraint in human relations, as in human interaction with the natural world. Once the windigo is set loose, it might devour anyone and everyone, including the one who gave it life. In order to conquer the windigo, the protagonist in the tale frequently must take the form of a windigo in order to do battle with it. Whoa. Wow. Family That's or a friends lot of work. That is a lot of work. Uh, family or friends stand prepared to restore the protagonist to normal by making them drink boiling hot fat to melt their icy heart. <laughs> oh, my God. Think this I mean, that's just my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. I take yeah,
0: why wouldn't you just tell this story, too? It's way
1: better. <laughs> I know. I know.
0: Like, what are you doing?
1: Um, uh, if, if that is uh, – if not – it is a curse that can affect multiple generations. Wow. Um, and then Kari follows up, guys, there is so much Wendigo lore out there, and there's so much academic and indigenous discussion about it. There's post-colonial reads of it since it's linked to famine and starvation. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, discussions of word origins, appropriation, uses of it as a metaphor. Uh, Danette DeMarco in Going Windigo talks about how cannibal concepts were popularized by coloners like Columbus to justify colonizing people and making them seem more other. That's what we were talking about earlier.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This might have contributed and might still contribute to the popularity of Wendigo stories in pop culture. That is definitely something to think about. Wow. Uh, Leanne Betasomasake Simpson talks about the symbolic nature of the Wendigo in the Nishnagbeg worldview. Again, please let me know if I'm pronouncing these things wrong. A lot of them I looked up how to pronounce them and some of them I couldn't find, uh, but I'm more than happy to issue corrections noting that the creature also symbolizes the potentially addictive part of the human condition when certain desires are indulged. This stimulates more indulgence until all reason and control are lost. One of the most common reads I came across was that the Wendigo psychosis, uh, in which a person succumbs to a cannibalistic mania, is likely rooted in famine and resource scarcity, both pre- and post-Western contact. There's some debate on it being classified as a medical category, whether it should or should not, uh, but there's a really tragic story from 1879 involving a Plains Cree trapper named Swift Runner. It's really dark, like too dark for your gentle listeners, so I don't recommend googling the story unless you have a strong stomach. Wow. Oh, Kari, we so thank you for knowing about our soft, smooth brains. Uh, Wendigo signs and symptoms. Now you're talking my language. Um, next, something that I might that I suspect Andrew might like. You're completely correct a breakdown of incipient Wendigo symptoms in Algonquin traditions, courtesy of Nathan Carlson's reviving Wendigo article. Becoming a Wendigo. Here are some ways, Anna, that it could work. Uh, something you could do, cannibalism. Consuming the flesh, the flesh of another human uh, also consumes their spirit, resulting in the exacerbation of human traits, especially hunger, and causing it to expand out of control. Does... Does cannibalism fall under, like, um, a fear thing for you, Anna? Does that scare you?
0: God, it it always, whenever someone brings it up, which is eight or nine times an hour, um, (laughs) I'm always, like, it's something that I always forget to think about. You know what I mean? Like, I think about ghosts most of the time, but, like, cannibalism, I'm always, like, oh, right, that thing. Yeah. Um, but it is scary, but I think when it comes up, I'm always like, why wasn't I thinking about
1: cannibalism? That's a very good, that's a very good point. I think um, it's like, yeah, I'm also, I'm always thinking about new recipes and it's scary that <laughs> one of them could involve my own body, you know?
0: It could. Yeah. Depending on who the person is. Yeah. Um, are you scared of cannibalism, Andrew?
1: Um, I think I, I do remember learning about the Donner party too early in my life and that oh really my creeped God. me out.
0: Yeah, I think I learned about it from The Shining, which I saw when I was 10.
1: Yeah. Just too early for
0: a lot of things, but...
1: Oh, my God. The read of Danny's line. You mean they ate Ate each each other other up? up? (laughs) Insane. I can always depend on you to know the exact pronunciation of that
0: line. You mean they. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh, I, I watched a long video about... Not the Donner party, but the plane that crashed in the oh,
1: Andes, yeah. was it? Alive,
0: yeah. Yeah. Alive, yes, yes, yes. Um, I watched a long video while cooking. <laughs> it's <a> probably <laughs> good. Um, and uh they gave a lot of information about like what parts they ate and when, and who was fine with it and who yeah. was not, and um Ugh, it's so good uh graphic, and it's crazy that they know all that stuff. I know I think if I ate people, I'd just be like, No, we didn't,
1: I'm yeah going home, just lie about it forever, yeah, um, but according to uh, according to um this article here, sometimes even just having dreams about eating people is enough to turn you into a Wittigo.
0: <gasps> no,
1: which is a lot. And then there's also the potentiality of spirit power, that a person could be cursed to become a witigo either directly or indirectly by orchestrating a situation in which they are forced to eat another person or by initiating the transformation outright.
0: Whoa. Yeah, this was something – it came up earlier when it said um – that somebody could or like a a creator of a Wendigo. I didn't Mm -hmm. think that it seemed like just sort of a naturally occurring thing, but it never occurred to me that you could transform into one.
1: I know. It's kind of like, I I think sometimes that's probably why it gets consolidated in with like werewolfy type stuff, you know? Sure. Um, I mean, sure. I mean, sure. And here's some general symptoms of being a Wendigo. Oh, you might No, we're
0: not doing that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, we're no. not
0: doing that.
1: This is we're a not. Foxworthy Free Podcast. It is. Started.
0: We promised you that on the first day.
1: Um, so here's some symptoms, Anna. Stupor, catatonia,
0: depression,
1: Pain. paranoia, inability to hold down food, nausea and vomiting, emaciation, awry or glazed-looking eyes, swelling of the face, trunk, or limbs, or Violence and shouting, you with the unusual vocal sounds, <laughs> I have most of that, yeah, I know we're we're about eighty percent on the way to windigoism. I
0: thought you were going to say inability to hold down a job <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, uh... I mean, I wouldn't put it past a windigo. um specific symptoms are uh, hallucinating that others, particularly children or relatives, appear as food or game animals, <laughs> so. <laughs> Every Looney Tunes character has been a Wendigo this whole time.
0: <laughs> Just slowly turning into an Easter ham.
1: <laughs> um, And the perception of your heart freezing or the formation of ice in your chest or guts. Oh, that's so evocative.
0: Yeah, this is so visceral. It's a lot about like hunger and yeah. uncomfortable uncomfortable body sensations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Uh, and here's some cures, everybody. If you're looking out, um, the victim must consume heated or even boiling liquid animal fat, such Mm -hmm. as bear grease, beaver fat, or sturgeon oil. All of those do sound like lubes, I will say.
0: I was going to say bear grease is available for purchase um, on our website, which we don't have. (laughs)
1: Um, If the cure worked, then the victim would cough up or discharge ice from their mouth as an indicator that the Wendigo's core of ice was melted. Certain ceremonies could also be performed to help overcome the Wittigo entity. If a victim could not be cured, death might be the only solution.
0: <laughs> this high, yeah, so what we're recommending is euthanasia. You have to be,
1: <laughs> you have to, the only thing that will make you better is we kill you. Yeah, I got diagnosed with a kidney stone last week, and that is kind of what it felt like they said to me.
0: Andrew scary. Have you thought about dying, sir?
1: Um... <laughs> Oh, and then you got to cremate the Wendigo's body afterwards or else it's going to come back to life. I hate to break it to you.
0: The ash? I wonder if that's part of where the ashes thing comes from at the end of the scary story story.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, this is interesting. Um, If you're interested in reading books with Wendigo themes, check out Anishabe author Louise Erdick's body of work, The Antelope Wife, incorporates the idea of the Wendigo as a metaphor for acts of consuming and devouring in the world. Uh, erdik also has a great short poem from the wind goes point of view. <gasps> Ooh, it's scary, intense, and very cool. I will absolutely check that out. Uh, holy moly. I know that was a lot. Feel free to pick and choose whatever you want to use. I know that I 100% went overboard here. Not at all, Kari. I just got into a thing where everything I was reading was interesting and I just couldn't stop devouring article, after article, after article, after article. After article. <laughs> Kari oh. Clemens, um, who then left a very generous uh, uh, list of sources, which is so helpful.
0: Did she give us any um, like money?
1: She gave us she gave us eight dollars in Kohl's cash. <gasps> Thank you, Kari. Um, but Anna, this really inspired me to do some like research into like native writers, like their own or scholars, their own like thoughts on the Wendigo in popular culture. And um, I found this really great article by Carol Warrior, by Carol Warrior, uh, who is an assistant professor of English in the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. She had like a truly incredible life, contributed so much to the furthering of like indigenous communities, um, uh, securing the traditions on paper. Uh, uh, just a really, really incredible. And um, she wrote this. Amazing article that's like 200 pages long, so I guess it's not really an article, it's like a thesis. Uh, the title of which is Bearing the Windigo's Teeth, the Fearsome Figure in Native American Narratives. Yes, and it's like I've started reading it a couple days ago. I, I have to admit, like, I've only made a small dent in it, but I will be reading the whole thing because it essentially takes um so many different what we think of as like American monsters and ties them to the influence of uh, native stories and how those things are um, utilized either uh, irresponsibly or in damaging ways or sometimes like accidentally in positive ways. Um, but it like stems from like vampires to the blob, uh, but the Wendigo is heavily featured. And, um, and yeah, this quote, which echoes a lot of Kari's research, which I just really loved um, was, from, was from like her, her closing statement. Indigenous storytellers recorded their insights not only to tell listeners or readers how to recognize a Wendigo, but also to teach people how to live in a way that nurtures and sustains life rather than a way that destroys life. Um, which I yeah. think is like that that story of the Wendigo is so very different than what this story is from a book we love very much.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: And it just it just co ops a completely different story that would be fine otherwise, um, but it unnecessarily like ties in a very on its own thing with a very clear message that this one completely loses.
0: Right. Yeah, I'd never thought about greed in that way before. Like I yeah. you are taking food out of someone else's mouth when you or or other um resources when you yeah. use more than your fair share you're literally taking it away from other people
1: yeah and there's something like it's interesting because there's so many so many scary stories I read or cautionary tales of like don't do this or you'll be punished um but very rarely does it present the way in which you can avoid that and actually come to a more positive outcome <laughs> It's just about like avoiding danger. And in so many of these stories that we've, um, that we've kind of uncovered through the help of a gentle listener and through other native scholars is like those stories are about like how to help someone overcome this toxic behavior, (laughs) you know? Yeah,
0: it's beautiful. Um, It's, am I allowed to go to grad school to write about? Marxist readings of The Wedigo, maybe. <laughs> um, I Take also really return. it's like an interesting um kind of horror. Interesting yeah. horror. Interesting horror. Um, the like which I, I feel like most scary stories aren't about this. I guess like maybe vampires, but like the specific fear of being something that hurts other people. Yeah. Um and it, it like the fear of I will become something that eats other people or like is scary. I feel like most scary stories are like, I gotta get away from the house. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, I'm worried I might become a problem for others, is like yeah. a very interesting area. Um, it definitely makes me think about living in a pandemic for a long time. Like my biggest fear on many occasions was. Not myself, but getting other people sick. Yes. Um, which I think we all kind of dealt with. Um, and it's real.
1: Yeah, that that focus. I mean, you're totally right, Anna, that so much scary story stuff is about self-preservation, you know? Yeah. Um, like trying to avoid bodily harm for yourself. But there is something very impactful about a scary story that warns that like you could bring harm to your community, you know?
0: Toxic in community.
1: Yeah. (laughs) We must get rid of toxic in community.
0: Andrew, Um, is this podcast legally grad school?
1: Congratulations, everybody. You just graduated from the uh, Dresden Farmer School of Hard Knocks and Gentle Knocks, if we're not sure if you're busy. And Spooky Knocks. (laughs) And Spooky Knocks. Kari, Spooky Teacher of the Pod, we so appreciate all the work that went into this. Um, again, gentle listeners, if, if any of you, um, come from a first nations background, uh, and have insight into this or corrections to this, please do let us know. Um, also, Hey, Anna, uh, next month is, um, American Indian heritage month. And, um, it's also made me think about like, how can we all be better allies? Um, there's this really great nonprofit called Illuminative, uh, which is just a great place and resource to follow for like insight and information. Um, I also learned about this thing called reclaiming native truth, uh, which you can reach at rnt.firstnations.org. Uh, um, and their mission statement is uh, that they're a national effort to foster cultural, social and policy change by empowering native Americans to counter discrimination, invisibility, and the dominant narratives that limit native opportunity, access to justice, health, and determination. Reclaiming Native Truth's goal is to move hearts and minds towards greater respect, inclusion, and social justice for Native Americans. Um, and yeah, they're another amazing resource that uh, I'm, I'm going to be donating to. And any of you, if you're able, I think it's a great uh, place to give. Amazing. Thank you all for enduring. Um, I mean, what, what I think of is like fun homework, you know?
0: It is fun homework. It's good to hear about things that you've only ever heard the wrong version of. <laughs> it's, like when a relative passes away and you're like, did she have a married boyfriend? <laughs> and they can finally be like, yeah, so here's what happened. Like, that is the feeling I'm having of like, oh, I, I don't like this, but I'm glad that we're finally talking about it. I didn't <laughs> know what's up. That is um, a
1: very perfect analogy, Edna. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, before we go Anna um, do you think we have some time for a couple very short scary, scary ideas, ideas for, for things that, could, that happen. could
0: happen yes would you okay. like to go first or second
1: um, I think I'm gonna go first <gasps>
0: oh. <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> uh, you are ready for bed and you reach over to your bedside lamp to pull the little string that turns out the light but when you pull it, you realize that something weird is tied to the end, and you look at it, and it's a tooth. And then you realize that one of your front teeth is missing. That, that could, could happen.
0: happen. Remember, go be careful with your
1: lamps. Be careful with your lamps. And
0: make sure it's not teeth.
1: Make sure, You'll- do. Do not anger any fairies that Ugh. could take a tooth and tie it to your bedside lamp. Novel thing.
0: You guys have to stop doing this. <laughs> um, oh my God, Andrew's scary. Scary. Okay, I have one. It is opening night of your extremely fancy sit-down Post, steak steak pasta restaurant. And everything is going according to plan. The diners are fancy and everyone's wearing their best clothes. and you are watching it all from your office, uh, which is above the kitchen. and everything goes really good and then one and every everyone says i liked everything i ate and the place was beautiful and you say oh thank you and then you have a very happy life <laughs> and Everything's fine. And one day, <laughs> 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 one day, <laughs> when, you're, when you're getting ready for bed, all the way across town in the cemetery, a bunch of skeletons get up and do a scary dance.
1: That, that could, could happen. happen.
0: Anna, he didn't even see it. Think about Anna, all the
1: skeletons you don't see. That was a Terrence Malick film. <laughs> that scary idea for things that could happen was shot entirely in the golden hour. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, you can't see anything. It's just lens flares.
1: Just lens flare. Ty Sheridan is a featured cast. <laughs>
0: Oh my god Anna, he learned how to cook for the movie
1: he learned how to cook thank goodness he'd never seen
0: he'd never seen eggs before <laughs> he got scared when he saw them
1: uh, ovophobic um, <laughs> uh, Anna it is such a pleasure to be doing this with you again Andrew um,
0: thank you for keeping it going for our, our sweet children out there um, and all of our cool guest hosts um, thanks for thanks for keeping my wife satisfied while I was away on business <laughs>
1: Anytime, I
0: don't want to hear about it But I, you know I love her And um, I'm glad it's uh, I'm glad I'm glad to be home
1: Oh yes another Terrence Malick film Called I'm Glad to Be Home <laughs> um, Everybody else Get, get out. out Forever Dog This has been a Forever Dog production Scary Stories to Tell on the Pod Is executive produced By Brett Boehm Joe Silio and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Tracy Soren. Original theme music by Chris Ryan. Cover art by Bats Langley. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcasts on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news.